welcome to the Bridge the Divide podcast with Erica Turner and Heidi Wheeler, hosts and founders of the group Bridge the Divide Cedarburg. We hope to provide a forum for discussion and action around racial reconciliation. We seek to identify instances of inequality, foster empathy, and educate others to recognize their part in problems and solutions in Ozaki County and beyond. It's Heidi Wheeler. I am in the studio today without Erica. As you all know, um, the events, the recent events in the last couple weeks have really been um, a trying time for our country. And for friends who are, are black, a lot of them are weary and need some time to um, grieve and, and be alone with their families. And so today, um, Eric and I just, we decided that it's better if I just do the podcast and the focus today is going to be on how to become a white ally. And so um, I have a friend though in the studio with me and her name is also Heidi, Heidi Irwin Rowley, and I'm going to let her introduce herself to you. Thanks so much, Heidi. Um, like you said, I'm Heidi Irvin Rowley. Um, I live here in Cedarburg with my family. I have four kids. Um, we moved here in 2002, thinking we would be here for about two years before we moved on. Um, and that's not how things turned out. So we've been here for about 18 years now. Um, I work part-time as a school psychologist at an elementary school. Um, and like many people, my heart has been really heavy these last weeks as um, we've watched what is happening um, in our country. And so I just really appreciate the opportunity to be here and to talk to you. Thank you for coming. So a disclaimer before we start and getting getting into the meat of what we want to talk about. Um, as a white person, I think it's interesting to elevate my own voice on discussions of racism because normally I think it's really important to elevate the voices of people of color over white voices. And um, except when uh, people of color are saying, no, I'm tired, speak up. And when you elevate your voice, sometimes people assume that you're an expert on something or that you've arrived. And I want to be very clear and say that I have not arrived. I am not an expert on racism. I still have racist tendencies in my own heart. And to me, this is the journey of a lifetime. And every day I learn something new um, by listening to my friends of color and black voices and other white friends, too. I think this is uh, the journey of human beings learning to love each other better. And so um, we're coming here today, both of us, just as fellow human beings, imagining you in your living rooms, uh, listening along. And I mean, ideally, we'd be at a coffee shop together, chatting this out face to face. But this is what we have um, we, in the in the era of COVID. And just a lot of people are texting me and texting Erica and probably other Heidi too. Um, what can I do? I, I finally, I finally see what people have been talking about. I, I get that um, what's happening in our country is charged with a lot of emotion and a lot of 
um, history, and I, I realize I don't understand it all, and what can I do? So we've been getting a lot of questions to bridge the divide and, and personally, and so we thought a, a good way to um, interact with people who are new on this journey uh, would be to talk about some initial steps. And so um, that's why we're here today, but the disclaimer is out there, not experts on the journey with you. So, um, Heidi, we were going to talk about some current events. And Eric and I's last podcast, episodes 37 and 38, were um, going through the Ahmad Aubrey uh, story as well as the Breonna Taylor story. And so if you want to catch up on those um, stories and that talk, those talks, uh, those are episode 37 and 8. So we'll pick up where we left off. Um, since then, we've had Christian Cooper and George Floyd in the news. And uh, as you probably have heard, Christian Cooper was an innocent birder in Central Park and told a, a black man, and he told a white woman to please put her dog on a leash. And she um, lashed out at him and became very emotional, called 911 and said, do you remember his exact words? But it was something, I don't know, do you remember, Heidi? Oh, what she said was, yeah. I'm going to call the police, I, I believe, I could yeah. be, I'm paraphrasing here, and I'm going to tell them that an African-American man is mm -hmm. threatening my life. Yeah, that's what I remember, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then she goes into this almost wail, or her voice changes. Mm -hmm. Hysteria. I mm -hmm. mean, you can see almost the, the dial turning to mm -hmm. terror and hysteria in her voice and her body language. So she changed her, she, to get her way to, to not have to follow this man's request, she uses her emotions, which historically, if you know some history, you may not know this, white women's tears have historically meant violence for black men or black people. So in the 1800s, in the Reconstruction era, if... Um, if a white man thought that a black man had too much property or too much influence or too many resources, all he had to do was get a white woman to falsely accuse a black man, mm -hmm. and then he was lynched or brought to jail or something horrible. So there's this awful history around white women's, white women's tears. And so that was a, a modern-day example. And in the context, too, of, that we know... Um that African-American men are, are more at risk from police officers mm -hmm. than are white people. Um, and so the threat of calling the police is going to have a different impact on a person of color than it is um, on a white person. Mm -hmm. He was very calm. Mm -hmm. He filmed it. And people were able to see firsthand how this went down. Mm -hmm. This woman was well-educated. She was actually in my husband's business school class with him mm -hmm. at University of Chicago. Um, we found that out later. Um, he did not know her, but she was around. She had a wonderful job, and she has just ruined her life. Um, and given America an example of what overt racism looks like. Um, so that was one thing that happened, and then... By now, probably everyone knows about the George Floyd incident, which I don't even know what to say about it. 
horrifying, just so difficult for so many reasons. Um, I think I think that's also um, in the context of our um, current situation with what we know as a disproportionate impact of the COVID pandemic on people of color. Mm. Um, so it's not, I think it's so important for us to keep in mind that what we're seeing now in terms of protests are not about just one thing, just mm-hmm. one situation, just one person. Um, these are situations that happen over and over and mm-hmm. over. Um, I also think the um, disenfranchisement of African-American voters in Milwaukee during our recent election is relevant to our current time and place as well. We know that um, many fewer voting um, polls were open during the election in April than are typically open. Um, so again, I think when we talk about the protests, it's just important to remember um, George Floyd is the latest in a long list mm-hmm. of um, tragedies and um, you know really awful events. Mm-hmm. So I, I, Erica and I talked in the last couple of days, and I could hear the w- weariness in her voice. And I bring her up because she's a good friend of mine, and I have proximity to her. She's not the voice of all of black people in America, but, um, and other voices too. I'm just hearing frustration with, we've been telling you for so long. Mm-hmm. We've been telling you for, since the late 1500s, black people have been enslaved and you're finally understanding some, some of the impact of the ongoing racism in our country and what they have had to deal with the trauma and the word I used last time, gaslighting, mm-hmm. which is making you feel crazy for talking about something that everyone tries to make you feel like isn't there, but is. Um, and so I think we can all agree that the state of the country is one of turmoil and pain right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why one of the most important and first steps um, for white people who want to um, do better in this area is education. Um, and education of the history of our country too. Um, and in my mind, to have a clear um, or a clearer perspective on, on race and racism in our country, mm-hmm. there has to be some unlearning too. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my experience, white people are implicitly and sometimes explicitly taught that race isn't relevant to mm-hmm. us, that we as white people don't need to talk about race, especially if we um, live in communities that are pretty homogeneous and don't have um, a lot of diversity in terms of racial and um, ethnic makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think there's a delicate balance because I agree that we want to elevate the voices of people of color whenever we can. Um, And I would certainly never want to substitute my voice for the voice of a person of color. And I would absolutely never want to say that I understand or that I get it. But at the same time, I think there's really important work for white people to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Separate from those conversations where we think more critically or maybe in a different way about the history of our country. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of that can be uncomfortable. Um, And some of it goes against kind of the way we are typically taught Um, a lot of things about our country's history, and yet you don't have to dig very deeply to look at the facts. Mm -hmm. Um, We are going to, in the show notes, we're going to leave a list of books 
Um, maybe we can talk about a couple of our favorites in a minute. Mm-hmm. And also some YouTube videos, racism, um, kind of explained high level and simply there's some videos we showed in some of our Bridge to Divide meetings. Um, because I get, I think we have to get on the same page of what, what is racism. And we keep saying over and over in Bridge to Divide events, it's not being unkind to people with different skin colors. It's not, um, it's not the Ku Klux Klan. It, that is, that's overt, terrible racism. But what we're dealing with in the hearts of most Americans is something different. It's not realizing that we as white Americans have privileges and advantages because of our skin color that especially black Americans do not have. And there's a lot of history around that, like we said, and we've gone through some of that history in other podcasts. Um, But something I hear a lot from people who are very early in their journey is I don't see skin color. (laughs) And I'm going to read a quote from the equity EquityLiteracy.org. If I don't see race, if I can't, I can't recognize racism. If I can't recognize racism, I can't be anti-racist. If I can't be anti-racist, I participate in racism. This is where colorblindness gets us, racism. So if you find yourself saying, I don't see skin color, you are very early on your journey. That is something I used to say as well. Because you don't want to think of yourselves as a mean person or a bad person. But um, I think there is a, di- a dichotomy. You can both be a good person or a well-meaning person and still fail to realize the systemic effects of race in our country. Absolutely. And I think, I think talking about individual acts of racism is um, maybe easier and certainly more concrete um, than talking about the systemic nature of racism. On the flip side, unless we talk about the systemic nature of racism, it's not going to change. Mm -hmm. And I see a real struggle um, that's sometimes hard for me to understand because I feel like there are some white people who think um, either I have benefited um, because of the color of my skin or I'm a person who has worked hard and overcome challenges mm-hmm. and barriers and achieved something. Um, and, I, and I struggle to understand that what I see is a false dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Both of those things can be true. You can be a white person who has had a very difficult life and worked very hard and overcome a lot of challenges and barriers mm-hmm. and be a white person who has benefited from white privilege. Mm-hmm. Those two things are not... Um, mutually exclusive. And um, I hope we're seeing some growth and progress in understanding that. um, Because I think sometimes when we talk about white privilege, people feel white people tend to feel very um, threatened by it, Mm -hmm. or that their own accomplishments are somehow um, minimized, um, which is not the point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, we need to go to break. And after that, we're going to talk about what it means to be an ally.
to add to tack something on to the last part of that conversation we had with white privilege, I think what happens is when we start to look inside ourselves, we are met with shame. Mm-hmm. And we're met with this feeling of, I'm not good enough, or I don't like what I see inside. And so it's much easier to just pretend like we're something else and to hold on to kind of our external identity instead of looking inside. And so I did want to say something about white guilt. Um, I'm not sure what the actual stance of people who are more educated on this is, but I don't really believe in it. Um, Just because you are born white, you're born what God made you, right? So at least I think so. Um, You're born what you're born. And so what you do with that is, is up to you. So as a white person, I can't change my skin color. And I, I don't need to carry around guilt for being white. But I, at the same time, also don't get to pretend like white identity doesn't matter at all. Mm -hmm. So I think people sometimes think if you own that label of white privilege, then you have to own shame too. Mm -hmm. And I think that that there can be a sense of, I did not create this system. Yes. I Mm -hmm. am not responsible for this system. And I think it sometimes feels like a personal attack. And I guess my perspective on that would be, that is absolutely right. I am not responsible for the creation of systemic racism in our country. That is not on me. Um, However, that does not absolve me from my responsibility, I feel, to be clear-eyed about the fact that that system advantages some people and some groups over others. Mm-hmm. I think there's a real difference there. Mm-hmm. I didn't create the system, but I do, I do benefit mm-hmm. from the system. Um, and there is discomfort in that, mm-hmm. um, and I, as there should be, quite frankly. Um, then the question is, what do we do with that discomfort? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we're here, and that's why we're having these conversations. Um, it's not it's not a perfect process, you know. I I mess up. I I think I learn. I grow. Um, I mess up some more. <laughs> um, but feeling guilty and shutting down the possibility or the conversation, um, I think um, abdicates our responsibility. Um, as you know, members of the human race, mm-hmm. I am gonna. I just remembered. I saw this really good cartoon actually, and I'm gonna put the link in our show notes as well. And it talks about the brain. When the brain gets information that's th- that threatens its structure, maybe you can mm-hmm. talk about this more as a psychologist. It goes into fight or flight. So everything. It depends on how you want to live. If you are open and curious and willing to go go into the unknown and tell your brain it's okay, <laughs> you can grow and move. But if you let your brain just shut everything down in fear, you will keep the same structure, mental structure you've always had. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is there something to add to that or is that sum it up? I don't know. No, I would say I'm not certainly not an expert on um, brain function, but I think you're absolutely right. And I think there's an emotional component to that, too, and an identity component. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be threatening to my identity as a good person. Right. Um, you know, and again, I think um, we can we can look at it more deeply and, and say I am a good person and I benefit from white privilege. Right. So then what is an ally? Uh, this is a word that might be new for you. It's usually used for white people uh, who 
or it's anyone who's not a member of an underrepresented group, but that's typically white people, who take action to support that group. And it's up to people who hold uh, positions of privilege, like white people, to be active allies to those with less access and to take responsibility for making changes that will, will help others be successful. So that's kind of the idea here. Um, white people hold... I, I was looking at... Um, you know, a town board the other day, all white. Mm -hmm. Look at any board in America. I mean, <laughs> a lot of them all white. School district administration, politicians. I mean, yes, I understand that blacks are like 13% of the population and whites are, I don't know what it is now. There's more. However, just so then whoever has the power and the resources and the representation gets to advance the ideals of that group. Mm -hmm. So if you are an ally, you get to use your resources and your voice and your power to bring alongside other voices and elevate them so a diverse perspective is heard. So um, for me, this all starts with inquiry, mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. curiosity, and humility. Uh, owning the idea that I don't know everything and that I have a lot to learn, mm -hmm. which is how I want to live life. Um, and I think it's very easy. A lot of us grew up with a lot of things being said to us and preconceived in notions and I, and attitudes in our families. And there's a lot of rhetoric being thrown around today that if you don't, um, consider it with new perspective and humility and curiosity, then you could easily just accept it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I will say I struggle sometimes a little bit with the word ally because I think it can kind of um, connote this notion that I have arrived mm -hmm. and I am now naming myself an, an ally right. and therefore um, I have it all figured out. Um, and I know that's not right. what any of us mean. Um, you know, I can do everything I can. Anti-racist is another mm -hmm. kind of similar um, idea or word. Um, that it's not that I'm um, just not saying racist things, but that I'm actively working to change the system that yeah. benefits um, white people over people of color. Um, so like I said, for me, the word ally is a little bit tricky because because I think it can sound like I'm um, there. Um, at the same time, I think it's a great goal, um, and it's something to um, work towards. Yeah. I think it's something you you think of yourself more than you pronounce yourself. Right. <laughs> like don't get a don't get a bumper sticker saying um, black ally. You, right. Don't do that. It's something in your mind that I either am committing to this or I'm not. I I don't want to or I don't care enough or I just don't believe in it. So I think it's a a mental shift. Uh, well, and it makes me think of there's an analogy by. Um, Dr. Beverly Daniel Tatum about a moving walkway. Mm. Have you seen that? that? That if you think about a moving walkway, um, mm -hmm. how does this work? The people who are um, actively racist, bigots, mm -hmm. you know, they're moving along the walkway. Um, people who are standing as the walkway moves are people who are benefiting from the system and more passively racist. Um, and to be anti-racist is to be actively walking the other direction, um, you know, really trying to address the systemic nature of the racism. Mm -hmm. um, so that was an analogy that I thought was a, 
you know, an interesting or helpful way to think it. And, and I, again, want to be making progress to being somebody who is actively working um, to address the issues of systemic racism. Yeah, so I think that's helpful. And all the imagery we, mm-hmm. we can create, and it just gives us new ways to think about it. Um, I think it does start on an individual level, and, and then you move outward. Yes. I don't know if you agree with that, but I think, I think that's true. You have to do the work in your own home and heart before you take a stand, I think, because it's very, I bet it's pretty evident to most people of color and other people who are farther along. If you are in it as a cause and it for yourself or because you actually want to do something about it. Right. And I think there's a lot of value um, that can be had as as people are starting to learn about this to to talking to other white people mm-hmm. about it and and what what their experiences are and what their perspectives are. Um, I think those can be very valuable conversations mm-hmm. and certainly conversations with our children um, because we know our children see race and um, again when we talk to our children about what's happening now, I think it's so critically important to put it in a historical context mm-hmm. that it's not just about mm-hmm. the here and the now and the videos that we've seen recently as horrible as they are. Mm-hmm. It is about generation after generation after generation of violence against people of color and systems that disadvantage people of color. Um, and again, that historical context to me is critically important when we talk to our kids. I agree. We we told our kids last night about George Floyd. They haven't, we're not going to show them the video, mm-hmm. but they are five, seven, nine, and 11. And all four of them were just sobbing. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, well, that's the appropriate response. Right. <laughs> I'm glad that they, they felt that, um, the, the pain that they, they could empathize. And mm-hmm. I don't want that to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I learned, um, something I learned this week is that I think it's helpful to, as a, for white people to hold their emotions in check on social media and around people of color. I don't know. And that's newer for me and something. So if you post and, and you are grieving about George Floyd to a person of color, that feels like you're making it about you. Or it might feel like it might feel like that. It's not everybody, but I've seen a lot of posts about that. And so I want to, I want to consider that. Um, It makes me think about a Saturday Night Live sketch after (laughs) Trump was elected where um, there were, um, I don't remember all the details, but basically white people were shocked and, oh my gosh, I don't feel safe and what's going to happen. And, and sort of, you know, the punchline was, you know, people of color were sort of like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Wonder what that feels Mm -hmm. like. So it could, it, so if I was like, oh, I told my kids about George Floyd and we were all bawling around the table last night, that would be, that would be offensive, I think. It's, I think we, our job is to more listen. And mm-hmm. so I, I think we've kind of said that in not such an overt way yet. But um, yes, educate yourself, talk to your kids. But here, another point that we want to make is make sure you learn to listen. And so um, I would suggest listening to people of color and and a variety of voices because Erica keeps saying I don't speak for all black people I yep. am a voice yep. so and I think what you're saying is don't make it about yourself mm-hmm. in that moment if you're talking to a to yeah. a person of color don't make it about yourself 
and put somebody else in the position of having to comfort you because right. you and your children were upset by a horrific video. Right. Although those feelings are they're valid appropriate. Yeah. Um, that would be better shared with somebody else, maybe. Another white person, maybe. And depending on your relationship. I mean, depending yeah. on your relationship, it's going to be different for different people. And I would, you know, I think it's really hard to have hard and fast rules about, mm -hmm. you know, I certainly don't want to um, go too far down the road of saying, don't ever say this to a right. person of color. I know right. that's not what you're saying. No. Um, but there's nuance there. And to me, you know, if if you're in doubt, then... Don't say it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's or a good, ask the question. No, you that you made a really good point. It's it's be so people don't who have already care they're already carrying generations of trauma don't have to now comfort you. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, I like that. So I think this, some of our work as white people is to listen to the voices of black people and hear what they're saying and some I've heard a lot of people say that and mm -hmm. so that's something I internalize this week if I mean I guess you don't have to follow that if, if you're listening and you aren't convicted about that I guess you don't have to but what I would say is start following more voices of color in your podcasts in your um, social media feeds it's hard when you live in a town like Cedarburg mm -hmm. if you work here and it's 95% white I don't know if it still is it was a couple years ago um, how do you make friends who have different perspectives and friends of different skin color? So I think we have to go to break, um, but we'll, we'll see you after the break. And I'm going to start with the story. So I went to a writer's conference a couple years ago in Michigan. I went to one of the panels, and a white woman had put it together, and it was about writing on race. Mm -hmm. And she is really good friends with another black woman. They work in their community on things together. She tried, according to her, she tried very hard to get women of color on the panel. Mm -hmm. Nobody was able to do it. So it was three or four white women one had some adopted black kids. Everyone had, had um, a stake in the African community somehow, but there were no black women on stage. Mm -hmm. And there was outrage. It was like pure mayhem in that room. It was probably 200 people snapping, standing up and yelling, whistling, mad at this woman for putting on this panel. Mm -hmm. She was all red-faced. I felt so horrible. I didn't like the tone in the room. Even if she had made a mistake, she had explained, I tried mm -hmm. to get people and it didn't work out. I don't know what should have happened. Had she, you know, should she go on or not? But she, they were livid. Okay. Mm -hmm. The crowd was livid. I went to a panel the next day and it was a mix of races, um, white, black, Hispanic. It was everybody. And one of the speakers was very upset that the white voice had not been condemning racism. White voices had not been in the fight with them. Uh, mm -hmm. And I left very confused. Which is it? Am I supposed to talk or am I not supposed to talk? <laughs> I don't know if you've had anything like this or if you've ever struggled with this idea. And I'm still trying to figure this out. Um, but I think for me, my takeaway is uh, 
listen more, talk yes. less. Yes, I was just thinking that, right. <laughs> when possible, like when I don't need to speak, I don't. Mm-hmm. However, if you are working with a friend or you're doing something together, there may be times where that's very helpful for you to do that part of the presentation or take the load off somebody. This work is not the work of just the African-American community. There's no way they need to have all of racism, which (laughs) was, you know, a white person's problem, really. They don't need to fix it all on their own. Mm -hmm. However, um, they're the ones who are the experts on what it's like to live in a system um, where they've been, where they've had to experience racism for generations. So um, when do we speak up? Uh, I, I think it's when asked, uh, it's around the dinner table with your racist uncle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, be careful to, to consider, will I speak up on social media, but not in my real life? Mm. Um, what else do I want to say about that? If, if there is a person in the room, an African-American who is an expert on racism, give them the floor. I've seen so many panels where it's a mix of people and no offense, elderly white men, but Mm. the elderly (laughs) white man stands up and tries to give his explanation for why things are the way they are. And it comes off as really tone deaf Mm -hmm. and painful Mm -hmm. for a lot of people in the room. I don't know if you have more to add here, but yeah, I think, I mean, there's so much nuance to it. And again, I think it's hard to come up with hard and fast rules. Right. And part of it is, too, um, I think it makes sense to elevate the voices of people of color whenever we can. The flip side of that coin is it's also not, as you have said, the job of people of color to explain racism in every situation that they're in. So, you know, the person of color may or may not want to talk about racism at any given time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that needs to be okay, too. <laughs> so it's about, to me, context, um, relationship, mm-hmm. right? There are certain relationships where you can, um, when you know somebody really well, and there's a certain level of comfort that leads to vulnerability. Um, but, you know, in other, I mean, a lot of us, unfortunately, don't have um, really close friendships like that with people, Um of different ethnicities. So, so again, I don't think you're ever going to go wrong with listening. Mm-hmm, right. I, I don't think you're ever going to go wrong with listening. Um, I also think approaching any of the communications, um, conversations with humility, mm-hmm. um, right? Like the thought of somebody standing up and sort of explaining why things are the way they are, regardless of sort of what topic it is, you know, if you leave a dose of humility out of that, um, it, it, it sounds tone deaf often. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think that humility, that desire to learn, that understanding mm-hmm. that we don't have it all figured out, and to name that it's complex mm-hmm. and um, and that it can be scary because we'll mess up and that's okay. That's part of it. <laughs> I think that's, um, for Bridge the Divide, that's what we pride ourselves in mm-hmm. <laughs> is mm-hmm. to be a place where you can, you can mess up. Mm-hmm. You can try, you can try and if it, comes out wrong, quote unquote, it's okay. We'll, we're all on the journey together and it's a safe place. We won't judge you. And you have to be able to take that feedback. But yes, but we might say, mm-hmm. when you say it this way, it sounds like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the other thing with your words is 
to be careful what you're adding. So if you are on a page and somebody has posted about George Floyd and you say, well, all cops aren't bad cops, that that presents something that maybe isn't the most pressing issue at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I will say I struggle with the social media part of it because I'm not on social media. And um, to me, it, it feels a little bit like a vortex that will suck me in mm-hmm. or that could suck me in. Um, and I, I don't know sometimes how productive it necessarily is, mm-hmm. at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, or even in person. Yep. Uh, I think the riots is, we can get into the riots for a minute. I am not an expert on the riots. Well, and do we call them protests or do we call them riots? Right. It is very complicated. Um, Yeah. And and I, and I am not an expert and I don't have hard and fast answers. Um, it, It is difficult to watch the violence that is happening. There's no doubt that the looting, um, you know, hurts small businesses and is difficult to watch. Um, at the same time, sometimes I get concerned when people seem so quick to um, condemn, you know, the the violence at the protests and the rioting or the, the looting, um, and that that can overshadow the condemnation of mm-hmm. um, everything that led to the protests. Mm-hmm. And there is part of me that, that wonders sometimes, well, what should it look like? Um, mm mm-hmm. And I don't mean to condone the violence or the or the rioting or the looting, um, but I find it very very challenging to know how to respond in a way that is articulate and mm-hmm. um, definitive. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen a lot on some of our local pages on Facebook this week that's been very sad to me. Um, people bringing up peaceful uh, protest or, or just um, we had a gathering last night where it was called kneel for nine. And there was a couple of mm-hmm. places we did it in Cedarburg. Both Heidi and I went to different ones, but it was completely peaceful. You knelt on your knee for nine minutes to, for a couple of reasons. One was to rem- remember nine things. I don't even remember what they are. I didn't read them all very well. The other one was to experience the amount of time that the mm-hmm. knee was on George Floyd's neck mm-hmm. and it was a long time. It was a long time. And it was a it was embodying a little bit of what that meant for him. Mm-hmm. And just seeing the gra- feeling the gravity a little bit of of that situation. Um so people have been announcing these kinds of peaceful demonstrations and there's been comments about guns and getting together um, military and defense groups, and that stuff doesn't belong in Cedarburg, and (laughs) just like veiled threats. Mm -hmm. Um, So people go right to that instead of um, what what must be at the heart of people who are so upset, who've been pushed down for so many years. And in some ways in history, that's the only time that they ever were heard. Mm-hmm. So the housing marches of 1968, mm-hmm. I think, um, and it was eight or nine, 68, that was, that was the summer is somehow kind of reminiscent of that summer when there was a lot of marching and protesting. And that's finally when the Fair Housing Act got passed in the United States. 
So black people couldn't be written out of subdivisions mm-hmm. and had mm-hmm. equal access to homes and, and locations. And so if, if you can't get equity or justice through peaceful means, I mean... Well, and, and to me, the, the question is, as I was talking to my kids about this, too, um, instead of the question being, do you condone the violence yeah. or not, can we talk about, can you imagine what it might feel like for that to seem like your best option, right. best or only option? Um, and again, I'm not, I mean, to be clear, I'm not ready to say that I condone it. Right. Um, it's it's but it's very complicated to me and i think it's um it's heartbreaking i mean hopefully we can all agree about that mm-hmm. that it is heartbreaking um and you know michelle obama um there was a quote from her that that really resonated with me um and and what she said is i'm exhausted by a heartbreak that never seems to stop mm. um and it is heartbreaking um it is and there are no easy answers but not having the conversation um, is certainly not going to get us anywhere. Mm-hmm. Or, or throwing out falsities or large generalizations or threatening with guns right away. And I think we have to acknowledge, too, that, that you know, I really do believe that there are white supremacists and that there are people mm-hmm. who are intentionally instigating and capitalizing on the potential for violence um, in order to make... Um, things look even worse right and in order to decrease any kind of empathy or compassionate Mm -hmm. or convicting response on the part of white people and this is not i mean the the riots riots protests whatever demonstrations they're not black people aren't condoning them i would say as a general rule either they don't they want peace right but so don't make it a black white split in your mind that white people only want to protect their stuff and black people are willing to be violent to get what they to get heard. That's not if you are in the crowds, if you are listening to people who are there, that's not what's happening. It's a mix of people on both sides, mm-hmm. both doing violent things, black and white, and very peaceful, black and white. In some of the places, cops are walking with people. Yep. In some, they're shooting people with rubber bullets and, and gas. Um, what's it called? Tear gas. Tear gas. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are losing their sight uh, temporarily, uh, walking to their car, like not even as a threat. So I don't, I don't think any of us could paint a perfect picture of what, we don't know what's going on. It's, it's chaotic, it's sad, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And can you, it, I liked how you phrased that question. Can you imagine this being mm-hmm. somebody's best option? Mm-hmm. Like we've, we've tried, there's no one's listening. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Well, and I think another thing that that brings up, too, is how are other systems in our community speaking into this issue? So um, in my mind, that's a step from moving kind of from the individual to the system level. And so I would certainly hope that churches are speaking into this. I would certainly hope that school systems are speaking into this and that schools are helping parents equip, helping equip parents to have conversations with their kids about race. Um, I do think there are um, there is a space for other kinds of um, systems to speak into this. I think that's a really important point and a good near conclusion. Um, this isn't just an individual problem. It's, it's a system problem. And until we are willing to address our systems, things won't be any different or they mm-hmm. won't change. 
So, yeah, school boards, town boards, Mm -hmm. churches, wherever you have a voice. Maybe that's my last point. Yes, there's paradox in using your voice. Mm -hmm. But if you are in a room full of white people, that's a great time to use your voice Mm -hmm. in your circles. Mm -hmm. If you are developing curriculum for a program, Mm -hmm. if you are talking about town busing rules, if you are talking about whether cops wear cameras, whatever, whatever your space may be. And maybe one of the most important thing is talking to your own children. Like Heidi said, Mm -hmm. we don't want the next generation to be as ignorant as we have been. Mm -hmm. I I keep saying I've, I'm in like, I don't know what year of school, like 20, 21. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Still have never gotten until I would say my doctoral program where we talk about social determinants of health and race mm-hmm. and how race impacts health. It's taken this long to learn some minor amounts of history. Your children will not get it in school unless mm-hmm. the schools are actively, actively seeking out diversity consultants and mm-hmm. people to come in and look at their programs. The curriculum is not robust enough. I asked two girls after our Neil for nine last night mm-hmm. or three who are in, at the high school in Cedarburg. Very little, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. little. And as we know, sometimes things are shut down when, right. when people want to do projects or read certain books. Well, and that goes back to leadership and school board. Right. Who is represented? What voices are represented? What voices are heard? Who of our listeners wants to run? All right. We'll help you. <laughs> um, do you have, Heidi, I, we had talked earlier about um, books. A lot of people are talking about books. Yep. A lot of books are sold out right now. That's a good is, sign. Which is awesome. <laughs> Do you have any books that you would recommend for our listeners? Um, I guess the two that come to mind as my um, sort of my favorites, if you will, about um, books about racism and about some of these issues. The first one is White Fragility. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great place to start. It's mm-hmm. written by a white woman who did corporate training around the country um, and is is really well written. Um, it is clear. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy to read. Yeah. It's very accessible. Um, and the other one is Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a difficult read. It mm-hmm. is so beautifully and powerfully written and really, I think, portrays the vulnerability um, that he is a, as a father, a black father of a black son felt raising his son mm-hmm. in this world. Um, really, really powerful. It's very short, um, again, accessible, but really powerful. Mm-hmm. Good suggestions. We're going to leave a list, like I said, in the mm-hmm. show notes. Um, you can't go wrong. Start somewhere. Right. And be open to what might be in that book. Um, and then get your white suburban mom friends together and have a Zoom book club. Yes. <laughs> we just did one um, with Bridge of Divide on Henrietta Lacks. Oh, it, my book group read that, actually. Yes, just this past year. In fact, I chose it. Yeah, it was a fascinating book. It was. It was about, um, you know healthcare ethics and race mm-hmm. and a lot of other things. But mm-hmm. um, we are really thankful that you listened today. And we hope that you hear that we don't think we're experts or have all the answers or that we're going to fix anything in a 30 some minute segment. But we wanted to start the conversation. And if you have questions or you want follow up, you can follow us um, at Bridge the Divide on Facebook or our website is www.bridgethedivide.life. Um, you can connect with us there. And when COVID is over, we'll meet in person again, but we're going to be doing things as we're able on Zoom. Um, 
but we are here as a resource uh, for education and questions. And um, I am definitely on the journey with you. And I hope to hear from a lot of you soon. Thanks for, thanks for talking, Heidi. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We welcome your feedback, suggestions, and any program ideas. Spoken Word Artist Propaganda states, we need to consider the waters we swim in. Maybe it's not toxic to me, but it's toxic to my neighbor. And if it's toxic to my neighbor, it's probably toxic to me too. Let's breathe better water. Contact us on our website at www.bridgethedivide.life. You can email us, info at bridgethedivide.life, or reach us on social media. Facebook is Bridge the Divide Community, and on Instagram, it's Bridge the Divide Podcast.